you know what we've got lined up for tonight? No, no idea. What? What? One word. Yeah. Geronimo! <gasps> Geronimo! We've got Helen MacDonald. Let's get her in and find out the story of Geronimo the alpaca. Let's do it. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. This is part two of our chat with Helen MacDonald, whom some of you all know as the owner of Geronimo the alpaca. If you've come straight in at this point, we strongly recommend that you listen to episode one first, where we cover more of the background behind this detailed story. In this episode, we will learn more about the specifics of what happened to Geronimo. So, with no further ado, let's get on with the show. The gorgeous picture behind you, Helen, of, of a jet black alpaca and we can scarcely make out the detail because it really is jet black against a black background and he's on a blackboard and that's yeah. um that's geronimo that's geronimo that was drawn do, for me do you tell us a little bit about geronimo yeah that picture that was drawn for me by a farmer last year who sent it to me um just arrived yeah. in the post with a message on it but um yeah geronimo geronimo was amazing um very happy cheeky by the end, very fat alpaca. Um, and uh, he came from New Zealand. And uh, to improve the genetics in my herd, we don't have his genetics in the UK. And uh, that was, he was coming over to make a difference. And uh, he did, but not in the way that um, that we wanted him to. No. So um, yeah, he is a very happy, outgoing cheeky boy which i think is why so many people just totally fell in love with him he had he had a good name um which helped but he's just um a very yeah a very special alpaca did he come with the name he was named um by the breeder in new zealand after the song there's a song called say geronimo and uh, he was born on waitangi day um which is the new zealand national day so mm -hmm. he, he was um yeah, he was special to them too. Well, all yeah. black, all black, born on New Zealand Day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. So I picked him out um, with another, with another one, and right. uh, they came to uh, the UK in August 2017. Now, or five years ago. Right. Mm. But but then. Then things didn't go very well. Uh, then, then things then, then things just went spectacularly wrong. Um, mm. And what should have been a very relatively straightforward series of conversations and careful monitoring and research uh, turned into a four-year fiasco dragging in courts and the whole myriad of what went on is just just it's still fun it's shocking mm -hmm. and sure. especially when these were vets <laughs> these were vets decisions to do this so basically what happened was he had a voluntary test which everyone in the uk was using um, a simple blood test um for tb because England has a endemic TB problem in cattle and the Alpaca Society, the British Alpaca Society had been pushing and funded this test 
uh, with mm -hmm. other stakeholders to get us a surveillance test because alpacas and llamas and other camelids in the UK aren't livestock. Uh, they're not classified as livestock. And, you know, we wanted to be responsible as an industry. We didn't want cattle farmers saying to us, oh, your animals are riddled with TB and they're spreading it around the country, mm. which back in 2013, you know, was becoming an issue because people realised that alpacas in, the, in England were getting TB. Um, mm. Not many, um, but there was a definite incidence. And so... And, and there was the worry, wasn't there, that, um, that, that that TB could pass from alpacas, from, from camelids generally, to to humans. Yeah, of course. And and, and of course to cattle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a zoonotic disease, so yeah. you, it's notifiable, and we you've got to do something about it. If you have infection in a herd, you need to deal with it. And, you know, I'm sure people thought, my God, what is this woman doing? You know, this, why is she so hell-bent or that there's nothing wrong with this animal? And we sourced him from a farm where they've got hundreds of cattle, 900 odd alpacas last year, but they've had hundreds of alpacas for years. They've got sheep, they've got everything. TB-free for 26 years, government tested the cattle, voluntary tested their alpacas, Absolutely squeaky clean herd. They haven't had an alpaca TB case in over 20 years. And we know that because the New Zealand government told us that. But I didn't source animals from New Zealand, you know, on the basis that they might be diseased. You know, we did my homework, for goodness sake. We've got, um, a, you know, a herd here that's uh, never had any issues. I remortgaged the farm in 2013 to put perimeter buried fencing around my farm. I've got the best biosecurity on, on any farm in the country and I challenge anyone, anyone who wants to come and see my biosecurity, very happy to show them how we did it. It's not difficult, it's not, but it isn't cheap and it's a bit fiddly, but it's certainly doable. Anyway, so, you know, there was absolutely no way that we bought in a, a tuberculous animal from New Zealand. So he passed all his tests along with the, the female that I bought. There's been 100 alpacas in quarantine. 29 of them came to the UK and at the time we all, people wanted to promote this test and to get people using it and to have safe trading you know we had had issues and there was one of the things that goes on with TB is that people don't like talking about it mm -hmm. you know and there's this sort of oh my god your herds have got it's bad enough with parasites let alone something like TB so you know people need to be responsible about this stuff so we did this test and it was a, a four spot positive, which was absolutely unbelievable. You know, I came, I actually came back from the vets, I was picking some drugs up and there was APHA on the phone at half past four on a Friday afternoon. Your alpacas got TB, we're coming to kill it next week. And so that weekend was uh, not, no, good. not good. No, no. Not good. That's, that's, that's literally what they said. What they said. That's that was the start of it, yeah. So that was September 2017. So we, I wrote a letter, I got a lawyer, and I said, look, there's absolutely no evidence here. This this test isn't right. We had testimony from New Zealand. We had testimony from the test developers. We had, you know, it was just like, okay, there's an issue here. They said, okay, well, we'll retest him. Now, yeah. the definition of a retest 
is to repeat the test. Okay. But no, no, no. DEFRA said, you have to do it our way or we'll kill him. And so they, what they decided to do was to treat him as if he was confirmed as having TB or strongly suspicious of having TB. So they made him have more tuberculin. So we realised at this point that he'd had four injections of tuberculin in New Zealand. And tuberculin is, is a protein is derived. part protein. of, yeah. exactly, PBD, um, protein-derived, uh, purified protein derivative. And so we said, well, hang on a minute. This test has measured what he's had. It is certainly possible. Oh, it's not possible. No, no, of course it's not possible. That can't possibly happen. So anyway, they said, well, we're going to do this. So you have to now have avian and bovine TB in the skin, the comparative skin test. And then you need to have two blood tests. So we said, well, we discussed it with the developers and another some other vets and said, well, we'll have to do the Amphiplex test again because you're trying to work out what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. So we did the Infoplex test and we did another um, antibody test called DPP, which has the same antibodies in it as the Infoplex test, which was completely negative, the DPP. But the Infoplex test had then was then from gone from four spot, despite that last tuberculin injection, and his antibody levels more than halved. Mm-hmm. But DEFRA said, oh, well, no, because we're changing the threshold now. They said this at the outset. So we knew that we had to do this test or not. They were going to kill him otherwise. We had no choice. Um, and they they reduced the threshold to two spot. Well, was, was that just for Geronimo? Was it across yeah, the board? Yeah, so he was treated exceptionally. And I was treated exceptionally. And we found out eventually when we went to court that the reason they were going to retest him was because they didn't want to get sued. Now, instead of just sitting there and saying, well, okay, look, there's an issue here. Let's wait six months. We'll test him again. We'll, we'll do tests. We'll you know, get him x-rayed, whatever else. Let's just put his in isolation. They accepted he was in isolation. They accepted him. He hadn't got it in the UK because of the time that we tested. We said, well, we know we haven't got it in New Zealand. So this retest happened just before Christmas. They changed my case officer and they got this girl to ring me up and she we're coming for the reactor tomorrow. We're going to come and kill him. And, you know, and this went on day in, day out for, for some time. And then in January, then the, the letters got a bit nastier. You know, you'll have to let us kill this animal. Well, well no, we don't actually, because... You know, there's something not right here. So we just kept fighting. I got to the point where they they offered me a phone call in uh, February 2018 Mm -hmm. with a senior veterinary surgeon from the government to explain to me why my animal was infected with TB. So I said, well, no, that's not good enough. I want a face-to-face meeting. So I took myself off to DEFRA at 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. I sat down there with head of TB policy, the uh, TB advisor, who was on a speakerphone, and the deputy chief veterinary officer at the time. Mm-hmm. And I sat there, I had three pages of questions, and I was asking, what is the specificity of a multiple primed Enfoplex test? And I never got an answer. In two and a half hours, I just, they just sat there and blanked me. So just, just, to, just to sort of translate that for some of our yeah. listeners who, who, who may be struggling in the corner of terms. Talking here. Japanese. Yeah. The, the, the Enfoplex test 
is a test for antibodies against tuberculosis. And depending on the particular brand of as a particular type of Enfoplex test, somewhere between seven and, and 11 uh, individual antibodies that it tests by having antigens stuck on Absolutely. Yeah. little spots on the surface of this test. Yeah. The antibodies in the blood will stick to those, colour change will occur, and it'll then light up either as one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eleven, or, or, or none. Yes. And so what you wanted to know was, having primed, or in other words, inoculated the alpaca against tuberculosis, was it possible that false positives could occur? Is it is it sensitive enough to pick up those false positives? Is it specific enough not to pick up those false positives? And you never got an answer to that. Absolutely right. Yeah. And see, I was told it was a false positive. A false positive's happened. It's okay. We'll retest him. You know, but the the legal letters don't say the same thing. But so that's what we wanted to know. We we looked back at the validation paper of 2012, which is the only paper for the Enfoplex test. And as you said, it's seven antibodies. So most antibody tests only have two or three and they're combined. So this seven spotted test, it was chosen by the alpaca societies because it was you know, you could modify, you could improve it. It's got seven mm. different things on it. They were independent and you could evolve the test going forward. And that was what we were all promised in 2015. Yes, it's going to be the beginning of something that we can make more accurate and yada, yada. And we'll sort out any teething problems. Right? But I didn't do it thinking there was going to be any teething problems. No. So, yeah, so we ended up with this um, declining antibody response to the second test. And they said, well, no, we say he's, he's two spot positive on this. Everything else was negative, but we're still going to kill him because he must have TB because it's highly specific. But they hadn't done the data. They hadn't done the research. So we knew mm -hmm. that the validation was only for the blood test when used on its own. And any prior tuberculin injections, they have no idea what the effect is on that test. And they still don't because they're refusing to do the research. So I said, well, look, this has happened. Let's keep him in isolation. Let's look at you know, study him. And we said back in 2018, you know, there's a legal um, under the Animal Health uh, Animal Health Act, you can isolate for research purposes now now he wasn't isolated it's just worth pointing out he he was living with companions mm -hmm. and all the time he had two acres of ground and a barn and he had everything that he wanted so he wasn't stuck in a pen by himself for two for four years there's no way that we would have done that and likewise, if we had any suspicion that he had disease, then we wouldn't have kept him alive. I mean, that was just, you know, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm a professional veterinary nurse. And, and I was questioning the, the lack of science and the fact that there was no data. And mm -hmm. hang on a minute, there's an issue here. Can we not all just grow up and work together to solve it? And and, but no, no. And so, so six months after he was all this debacle all over the second test, we found out that actually they DEFRA already knew that double primed animals, so those that had two injections within 12 months, 
and then were being tested with this blood test were inexplicably going positive. And they already knew since a year before, and they didn't declare it, that we were supposed to be killed um, March, one day in March. I had to agree to have him put to sleep. We'd run out of options. We didn't see how we could go any further. And they were coming for him the next day. And the British Child Packer Society sent a letter to the government and said, well, hang on a minute, you, you about, we, we discussed this in 2016. And um, I got a text message saying the coal's cancelled. And that was in March. And I didn't hear another thing until August, not one word. And then, so we used to have these protracted silences where things wouldn't happen. And then they would come back and say, oh, I've still got to kill him, you know. And, and I've looked at this and, you know, and, uh, it was horrific. It was unnecessary. It was unscientific. And it was just downright, it was irrational. I mean, we took him to court on the basis that the Secretary of State was irrational, but the judge felt that they weren't irrational enough because they had looked at it you know, that the test for judicial review wasn't whether they thought Geronimo had, science, uh, had TB or not. They accepted that he might not have it. Mm-hmm. The, the test, the legal tests are very different. You know, they sat there in court and said, well, this isn't the place for science. This is about did the Secretary of State make a reasonable decision? Well, the fact that that decision was based on dishonesty and manipulation and, well, I'm saying this antibody does this when it doesn't and all of the malarkey that went on. Um, And I have read so many clinical papers. I I tell you, I was up every weekend. We were up all hours, um, you know, challenging what they were saying because we knew it was just not accurate. We had that battle. And then you just think, come on, someone use some common sense here. Yeah, he's, they accepted he's no risk to anybody because he was in isolation with his friends. He, we had him x-rayed. He had ultrasound um, exams regularly. With his, He had his own vet, um, a camelid, mm-hmm. uh, very experienced camelid vet. And we had an expert witness for court who's a very senior veterinary surgeon. And, and yet the government were like, nope, nope, not doing it. And then they kept giving me these ultimatums, you know, it's August now. Well, you need to kill him by the end of the month, um, or we're going to get a warrant. And that was like 2020, I think. And we said, "Look, time's gone on, guys. He didn't get TV." Now, when I went to that meeting at Defra in 2018, the just head of TB policy sat there, and he said, oh, "Don't worry, don't worry about your questions. Don't worry about those. Let's go back. Let's go back to New Zealand." Okay. Well, it's perfectly possible he might have you know, met a possum or caught it at a show. Yeah. And this is the sort of rubbish that we were dealing with. And I said, is that the best you've got? You know, I mean it's laughable. This is this is a disease that I, I, happens I, did, in, I know I do apologize. I didn't mean to oh, I'm gonna write the, a book. The phrase, it was just, you know, and then they were saying, well, there was another outbreak of TB in this country. We can't have another one of those situations. And I said, it's completely flipping different. Anyway, they denied they knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. They threatened the test developer. Uh, they wouldn't 
agree to any testing. And all the time, and even in court challenges, we were saying, test him, test his companions, give them all the tests, and let's see what's going on here. I mean, we were very open about that. Yeah, do all the tests. Let's validate them. Exactly. Let's look at it properly, get experts from both sides, put it all before the court and let the court decide. Well, they wouldn't have it. They said, oh, if we test him again and it's negative, it will be a false negative. Now, when you've got vets in a room, they just can't believe the sort of excuses we were getting with the last stages of the court hearings and everything else that we went through from 2020 onwards, really. No one was going to listen. They wouldn't go against the high court judgment of the judicial review. So... So that judgment was unjust. I'm never going to get over that. Uh, I just find that so hard to accept. But everything that happened after was, well, oh, no, well, the High Court said this, so therefore we're not going to change, you know, when, even though two years had gone on and there was more evidence, mm-hmm. they weren't interested. The issue is that if you have a suspicion of disease, no matter how it has come about, mm. that's it. In law, they can do what they like. And what we wanted to show was that, you know, we had no defence. We were not able to defend ourselves by offering, by having permission to do those additional tests because we couldn't, the Secretary of State wouldn't give us permission to do those tests. So we were in Mm. a catch-22. And ultimately, you know, so we got the world involved and um, that wasn't good enough either. And we tried. The world is not enough. As Very much seen. so. Yeah, it was, you know, people were saying to us, oh, they're they they're not, they wouldn't be so sick to do this. They just wouldn't do it. And I'm like, they can. They can. They've not listened for four years. You know, they they don't care. They, they don't care about eradicating an endemic disease from England, which is what this is about. It had nothing to mm-hmm. do with Geronimo. It wasn't even about TB. They were scared. And they live in fear that their the policies are not working and they can't afford to have be challenged on it because they would open the floodgates. And, you know, Mark Spencer, the chief whip at the time, sent a WhatsApp round apparently because we came out of Freedom of Information request saying, oh, well, if we if we say no to Geronimo, then, then everybody will be challenged and we'll be sued and everyone will be kicking off um, because their animals have died, you know. But this was a unique situation with no precedent. Mm. There was yeah. never a precedent here. This was about learning, and this was about veterinary surgeons, senior veterinary surgeons in government, having the professionalism and the scientific ability to say, look, this test isn't valid, so therefore how can the result be valid? And they were relying on the test results four years later. So... You know, as a, as a nurse, as somebody who's worked in the industry for 30 years with many, many vets, hundreds of vets and consultants and specialists and all sorts of things, I, I feel particularly betrayed, not just by the government and the courts, but by the veterinary profession, because there's people in government that know how to behave and they're not, you know, and I, I'm not afraid to say it. And that's probably why that I'm not very popular in the government. Um, but, you know, somebody's got to make a stand against scientific 
reasoning. It's just that was absolutely awful what they did to him. Yeah. Um, so to, to, to fill in listeners who, who may or may not be aware, ultimately Geronimo was taken from the farm and yes. was, uh, was put to sleep, wasn't he? And well, then, we're not quite sure about that, actually. Um, we don't. We still don't know how he died. They they had a warrant. They were the court uh, basically gave them gave Secretary of State a warrant, which he could have chosen not to execute, but he did. Um, and they turned up with the police and they seized him and dragged him out of his home with a cattle rope. Uh, which was not an alpaca-specific head collar, which caused him all sorts of distress. He couldn't breathe. He was he had a very tight-fitting rope around the back of his neck. They dragged him into a horse trailer in the mm. lane, and they tied him up short to, up to the side of that trailer, so he couldn't sit down and he couldn't breathe very well. I've seen the photographs now and and the video footage, and uh, yeah, it's just horrible. The most awful thing I've seen in 30 years, I think. Um, but they did that and they took him, but they won't tell me. They say he was euthanized at the destination, which was about 50 to 60 minutes away, but they won't give me any proof. And given that he couldn't sit down and he was held up tight by that rope, which was cutting into his neck and squashing his nose, uh, I believe he was probably died in that trailer but i can't to this day i can't find out and it's going to have to come out at some point but nobody if they have nothing to hide why can't they show me cctv footage of the facility with him walking out of the trailer not stressed as they claim you know it's just another another thing isn't it well and subsequent Post-mortem and tests showed that Geronimo had no evidence of TB. That's right. Yeah, but then it twisted a bit more, didn't it? Because there was there was atypical lesions on the original, the preliminary post-mortem. Mm -hmm. And that went to the pathologists and they found nothing. So there was no evidence of TB on any of the pathology examinations, none of the bacterial staining or any of the other procedures. They couldn't find anything. They cultured the samples and they couldn't find anything. The, the culture report says MBOV is not detected. And then the chief veterinary officer turned around and during that period of time, while we were waiting for the pathology reports, said that he had hallmark TB-like lesions and the rest of the herd would have to be tested. And, and then the culture result came out and she said, uh, which was leaked to the press without my permission, There's a, I don't know who did it, somebody in DEFRA did that. Um, that's another issue I've got to deal with. <laughs> but she said that um, they couldn't do the uh, genome sequencing whole genome sequencing um, and so they can't understand how he came infected in the first place uh, which is uh, another false claim by the chief veterinary officer genome sequencing of the tb yes right okay yeah so they couldn't because, find any tb are, again just just to explain to, to, to yeah. listeners there are various uh Types of bacteria that, that, that cause tuberculosis, not types, but, but variants, serotypes. So, uh, as mycobacteria, bovis mycobacteria tuberculosis, and, and various subtypes and, and variants that, that 
calls it, the generally well-recognized way of determining which variant is present is to sequence the genome, uh, but you need the whole genome to be able to work out what, what it is. Now, if you're not growing the mycobacterium, then you've got no genome to sequence, so that thereby thereby hangs the problem. Without knowing the sequence, you don't know which particular variant or isolus it is, and therefore you don't know where it's likely to have come from. Yes, except in this case, had they have found TB, they would have whole genome sequenced it and found a spoligotype from New Zealand. But of course they couldn't do that because there wasn't any TB in New Zealand, but they're still trying to make out that Geronimo was infected with TB and they don't know how that happened. So some sort of immaculate uh, conception of a, a progressive wasting disease, which took him if he really did meet a possum at the show, it would have been at the beginning of 2015, which was six years with a progressive wasting disease where he got fatter every year. So, we need um, to track down that possum. That, that's the one that's to blame. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. sort of Australian badges, aren't they, really? I, I, move, I move on very quickly. We interrupt the show for an important announcement. Hi there, dedicated listeners. We just wanted to take a little time outside of the show as we've got something very exciting to share with you. We have exclusive Veterinary Ramblings merchandise available now, including T-shirts, mugs, posters and prints. Now, personally, I think my favourite is our T-shirt with a hilarious diagram of cat anatomy, yep. which has been revised to include their sandpaper tongue and treat-detecting ears. And essential for all veterinary students. If you would like to show your support for the show, head over to veterinaryramblings.com and select either the merch button for a one-off purchase through our T-Mill store or select Become a Patron. I'm sure you'll be absolutely chuffed to know that everything in our T-Mill store is fully sustainable, carbon neutral and shipped in plastic-free packaging. By making a one-off purchase, you will help us to plant more trees, save water and reduce carbon emissions. If you want to further support us, become a Patreon and receive items you cannot get through one-off purchasing. A shout-out on the show, an exclusive Veterinary Ramblings content. Every single purchase made will really help us keep on interviewing amazing guests. But if nothing else, we do appreciate you tuning in. Now. Now. On with the show. Can we... Can we move on to Geronimo's law? That part of the story has not ended very well, but that is not the end of the story, is it? No, not at all. No, we're just getting started now. <laughs> so well, what should have happened is that the government should have said, oh, look, hang on, Geronimo can be a poster boy for vaccination because we had a company who was going to develop a TB vaccination and we could have turned this into a really positive story. And... And they chose not. So they chose to chuck away a billion pound opportunity to develop vaccinations for animals and subsequently humans for TB. We, there was such an outcry. We had, you know, I have to say that during August, when I spent the best part of a month educating the entire planet on <laughs> Geronimo's story and TB in England and goodness knows what else I ended up talking about, we had a, a such a massive 
privilege. It was just, I have been so lucky in so many ways over that four years. The doors kept opening, people kept coming forward to help. We had, you know, barristers and lawyers and so much love out there um, for mm-hmm. this little black alpaca. We had all this this opportunity and from that arose a campaign group and I didn't know anything about it because after it happened, I just (laughs) disappeared to my bed for some time and it was just horrendous. But um, And a group of people that I didn't know formed a campaign group and there's 1,700 people in that now. So that's We Are Geronimo uh, and it's on Mm -hmm. Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, so this amazing campaign group and they're all people from all walks of life, mm-hmm. you know, some of them don't even have any animals. Mm-hmm. Some of them have only just recently met an alpaca at one of the uh, our national open day that was last weekend. And the, the spectrum of people has just been fantastic. And so they've all got together. Geronimo's Law is really now about reforming TB policy for England and for the UK so that this doesn't happen again because... It's TB is a nasty, and they keep saying insidious disease, and nobody's saying it's not. It's a notifiable disease, it's zoonotic, and we need to get rid of it. But there are very basic things that is not being done to get rid of it. We're actually spreading disease by using poorly sensitized tests in cattle and then lifting restrictions. Yeah, you know, I mean, it beggars belief. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. And there's so many little things that the, when you read TB policy, there's gaps. There's, you know, even the APHA vets don't follow biosecurity properly. I guess you could liken it to uh, to the pandemic, to, for yes. example, you know, just, just exactly. for argument for, imagine, imagine a, 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 a situation where the whole of the country is in lockdown uh, and yet, people who are likely to come into contact with huge numbers of other people in small areas. I'm going to say, for the sake of argument, Boris Johnson, Dominic Cummings, those people suddenly then decide on a whim to go to other parts of the country and to meet up with other people. I I don't know. There's there's something in that. There's just something forming in that. But um, I don't know. I don't know why Barnard Castle just flashed up, but there's something that, that just makes me think, biosecurity isn't always uh, foremost in in, in the government's mind. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, it's just basic. Yeah, as a nurse, we learn how to manage isolation patients, right? The first first thing you do is like Mm. basic hand cleaning, hygiene, barrier nursing, all of these things. Every farm should be treated like that. I'm not saying, you know, put it in glass house, um, but basic things and COVID is an absolute classic parallel. We've had TB in England for decades and not getting anywhere and it's Mm. spreading. And yet COVID comes along. Yes, we watched it come from China and wait for it to infect a few million people before we did much about it. But they had a vaccine, had therapies, they had everything within two years because some people got the right brains together and chucked a load of money at it and got rid of it, you know, and controlled it. It's not got rid of, but it. we have a better chance of keeping people alive now. You know, 205,000 people died, but 
we, the people going forward, you know, we have, they did something. Hmm. Um, and yet TB, no, we just seem to be wanting to perpetuate it. Doesn't make sense. I guess there was, there was a concerted effort, a multi, I was saying multi-parameter, a, a, a multi-lateral um, way of thinking about the problem with COVID, wasn't there? A uh, lot of disciplines got together and thought of different ways of attacking mm. the virus, different ways of attacking spread, different ways of maintaining biosecurity. And, and I guess your, your argument is that hasn't happened with... With, with TB in cattle yeah. and in camelids. There's been perhaps uh, a, a single-minded, uniplanar way of attempting to, uh, to to stop it, which which doesn't seem to be working. Well, I think it's worse than that, you know, because I think that the government have the, the sort of the policy for the cattle, but they actually like... We've got a wildlife situation with the badgers who are spillover species like... Uh, camelids. So we have others. We've had TB in hunting hounds. We've had TB in cats from infected meat. We've got, you know, it, it's not just cattle, but at the same time, these other species are being infected because the cattle is the primary problem because of poor testing and poor mm. movement or restrict, not restricting movement and this lack of biosecurity. And it, it seems to me that the this has been going on for decades, well before. I mean, like, oh God, I'm talking about something I don't even want to be talking about, but I just, I'm in it now. It's part of my life. and it, I've never even seen it. <laughs> it's just, but yeah. we've got this government on one side and they actually want the farmers and the, and the, the badger folk at each other's throats. It's almost like they're sitting back going, I'll just leave them to fight it out because it's easier than dealing with a problem. If they got biosecurity under control by actually rewarding farmers and helping them fund it and kept their animal, their farms when we where we have disease under lockdown for longer and use different tests. Mm -hmm. And we've got new tests coming on now, which can identify TB and bovis floating around in blood and milk, you know, and that should be we should be using those tools to treat those herds in isolation to remove those animals that need removing. And then you've got, if you buy a secure, you're not spilling over. If you're managing your slurry, you're not spilling over into other species. You know, it's, it's not rocket science. And yet the will's not there. Mm. You know, George Eustace has been saying since 2013, oh, it's very difficult Oh, really? You know, it's a terrible disease. My poor cow died of it. Well, what's he done to protect his own herd? I'm sorry, but that just doesn't make sense. I protected my herd and I got punished for it. Geronimo lost his life for it because government vets are too afraid to get some balls and actually deal with the problem properly, mm -hmm. you know, and there are brilliant farmers out there and there's young farmers coming through, which hopefully will help. And we've got a lot of farmers that are on, you know, understand what happened to Geronimo, which was very different to what happened in cattle. But we've also got an awful lot of people out there that just say, oh, well, let's wait and see what happens when it happens. Yeah, you know, and I know people around here that are like that. It's not good enough. Sure. 
So what would you like to see happen with, with, with Jerome's role or Laura? If, if you could wave a magic wand and say Geronimo's law comes into fruition next week, what would you like it to encompass? Just, just, um, just TB or rights generally for the individual animal in law? I, I would like, I mean, obviously TB is the topic that we got dragged into, but mm. Geronimo stands up for, for so much more than that. He, he stands up for, for welfare, for best practice, and really for animal welfare first. You know, no animal should be treated like he was. People should be able to visit a farm and ha have good biosecurity and have a, a big sign on the, on the front gate saying, this is a Geronimo farm, and we have... Geronimo standards on here. So we have good biosecurity. We treat our animals well. We support that ethos and we want animals to be treated like sentient beings. We want science to be credible and validated before you start experimenting on new species and pretending that you know what you're doing. And let's have some credibility behind government decisions. And everyone just except that there are other ways of doing things and there are better ways of doing things. And it might not be the easiest, it might not be the cheapest, but if you genuinely want to get rid of disease, then you've got to tackle it head on and deal with it. And what I get keep being told by people is, well, we have to balance it with economics and exports. We don't have to export cattle meat if we don't want to. We're not in no. the EU anymore. No, nobody will take our meat anymore, will they? Oh, exactly. <laughs> but, but we have choices, you know, and those choices might not be easy or popular or, or whatever, but they've got to be made. You either want to eradicate disease of TB and other diseases from this country or you don't. They're doing it with BVD. BVD, they took it by the horns and they said, right, okay, let's try and get rid of it. And they're doing that. We've got check schemes for BVD and stuff in cattle. Doesn't seem to be a major issue in camelids. And my, my message to camelid people, camelid vets, owners, whatever, fence it out. Keep it out. Get biosecure and you should not, and don't buy it in and make proper buying choices on-farm risk assessments, vets should be working with every farm doing proper farm risk assessments, and let's get on top of it. If government started to fund positive behaviour and stop threatening people, give them the biosecurity tools, fund it, you know, reduce compensation if they refuse. I'm sorry, that might not be popular, but that's what's going to mm -hmm. have to happen if, if we're going to really tackle it. And, you know, there's no point sitting there in government going, oh, it's really difficult. That's, all that's doing, that's negligence. You know, that's not helping animals. It's not helping the wildlife. It's certainly not helping owners. You know, we've all got, we know what the suicide rates are in the farming and veterinary industry. You don't need to be reminded yeah, about that, we're, you know. We're winners massive, there, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. there's massive knock-on effects that are not measured. You know, and, and you've got these apathetic people who would rather sit in government and be dishonest. And I think one of the things that people are so shocked about is that the the debris and the pattern of behaviour that we uncovered over the last four, if now five years, is horrific. Mm -hmm. Nobody should have to put up with that. Nobody. Um, 
and we've got to change it. So, yeah, so Geronimo's law stands up for whatever fits, really. <laughs> it's just, we could go <laughs> on and on, you know. So so if anybody's if anybody's interested in Geronimo's law and this this group that's come together, how do, how do you how do you interact with them? Uh, it's um, Facebook and Twitter predominantly. Um, we've got uh, mm-hmm. we're building a website at the moment, so it's uh, you can search for wearegeronimo.org right. um, on Twitter and Facebook, and you'll find us with official group on Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, and um, you'll see Geronimo's smiley face on on those. And then yeah, some people do an awful lot. Some people don't do so much, but it's about sharing stories. Mm-hmm. We've got farmers on there. Cattle farmers, all pig farmers, deer farmers, all sorts of people, uh, vets, nurses, anyone that's interested, really, not just in the science side of it, but in the ethics and the, mm-hmm. the morality of what we're doing, you know. And I mean, we have a lot of uh, one of the things that was so great in August when everyone was descending on us and we had press queuing up outside and it was mad. Uh, but we had we had the the, the hunt sabs, we had badger huggers, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. the, the scientists, vet. I mean, people just turned up to help and they all met each other and they all have these um, animal focused welfare groups and campaign groups that they support. And then they all met each other. And it was amazing because they didn't get the opportunity anywhere else. And they kept saying, this is great. You know, we're sort of animal welfare lobby has come together on our farm and and it was a very surreal time but but we sure we're all on the same side right we all want animal welfare healthy animals live long healthy lives or even short happy lives but i I think i think you're right i think there must there must be the only way mustn't it to to look at things we are all on that same side and it's going to take some sort of rationale to make sure that people see it yeah. As, as that side. Yeah. Whether whether some of us are right, whether some of us are wrong, whether all of us are right. Um, and I guess I, I, I perhaps have a naive uh, trust in in the law, not necessarily in the way the law is executed, but in the way the law is devised, because I think the law is devised in a very robust way. I think, unfortunately, it's sometimes prone to, to misuse. But hopefully, Geronimo's law will be devised in a very robust hmm. and tested way, and let, let's let's hope let's hope that happens. Um, I, I, I guess that there there's so much more we could say about uh, about Geronimo and about your your struggle. I, I just really wanted to to offer my my sympathy, and I know Mike uh, that, that does as well on on your loss. Um, and and the hope that out of all of this, some some good comes. Uh, and I think always yeah. when when we raise a cry and a hue, the hope is that out of the noise, some sort of yeah rational thought is 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 evoked. Well, we yeah, I agree. And uh, you know, it's been a it's been a very difficult awful five years but on the other side it's been amazingly positive and you know we're learning we we haven't run a campaign before i've got a whole new skill set i've learned in the last four years <laughs> I, can, I can read read papers i can read legal documents I, oh my goodness the stuff i've had to do but it 
it's a challenge and you have to take it head on and you have to just fight and fight until you can fight no more. And, you yeah. know, we lost Geronimo, but he's still with me. He's here, he's with all of us. And, and he stands up for something that the government couldn't destroy, you know, and it it's not about winning and losing. It's just about what's right. And we say we're still learning and any help we can get. I mean, I need help. I've got to write a book because I could, people keep saying, when are you going to write the book? And, yeah. Um, I haven't been able to face it till you know recently, but I, I, one of those things, it's all there. It just needs putting together. But mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot to be done. And it, as you say, when something awful happens, usually someone will pick it up and, and run with it and things will change. And, and we have to do that. You know, I hate that word justice, but that's where we are. You know, we sure. should have had a, a happy, smiley boy promoting TB eradication. But, you know... They saw not fit not to do that. So that's on them. Mm. And, and in the meantime, you still have this uh, this herd of alpacas that uh, that you're looking after. And and I wonder, I wonder whether I wonder whether there's some way that you could educate some of us in looking after alpacas. I wonder, I don't ooh, know, Mike, ooh, what would you ooh, think? Oh, I know, I know, I know, Julian. I know. Yes, yes, yes. Go on. Um, Good hands. Helen, yes. Helen, have you ever come across a thing called 60 second CPD? I have, yes, I have. I Ooh. wish it was a five-minute CPD. <laughs> I, I think we've actually had an hour and a half CPD, to be honest with you, because I know I've learned an awful lot tonight. But mm. um, I think it'd be wonderful. Are you? Would you be up for the challenge? I would. I will take it on. Yeah, you'll take I'll, on the sixty-second CPD challenge. I'll give it a go. I'd actually forgotten about it, but it's <laughs> quite all right, Helen. We hadn't. We hadn't. <laughs> We love it. So, Never. Okay, yeah, then, we're like elephants. Yeah. So what what are you going to do your 60-second CPD on? Um, what you need to know about alpacas for vets. Okay, so Helen McDonald, what you need to learn about alpacas, 60 seconds, starting now. Alpacas are a unique species and they're not like sheep, cattle or deer. As herd animals, they must be kept with same-sex companions in all circumstances. When the owner calls and says my alpaca is just not right, go armed with blood tubes and faecal pots. Intestinal parasites are the biggest cause of mortality. If alpacas cannot see through their facial fleece, they will be stressed to make your life harder. Head collars must be fitted correctly. They're semi-obligate nasal breathers. Alpacas are just as likely to kick and spit, but staying at the shoulder will avoid both ends. Plan your exam. They exhibit wind-up like cats. Handling less is more. Subcut injections with short dog-sized needles, please. IM injections are rarely required. Alpacas are extremely stoic, but in cases of lameness can be complete drama queens. Skin cases are not always due to mites. If a career does not get up and run away after birth, urgent intervention is needed. Lastly, everyone will always be learning about camelids. There we <laughs> wow. go. Wow. Fantastic. And that's all that's all we'll ever need to know. And as uh. <laughs> I, I, myself as a vet, that's all we'll ever need to know about camelids. That's fantastic. That's, that's very really nice. That's really good. Yeah. And and you missed out the fact that some of them look a bit like Roger Waters from the uh, Life in Pompeii album. But yeah, that's uh, that's 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 fantastic. That's really good. I tried. I had to keep shortening it and shortening it and timing it. It was like, oh gosh, I have to just talk really fast and hope I don't trip over any words. Good. That was good work. It was good work, Helen. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. That was a good challenge. It's a good challenge. There we go. 
Thank you very much. Okay, clever clogs then. You got you got Helen to do a 60-second CPD. Have you got a certificate? This is a certificate of evidential camels, llamas, alpacas, guanacas, vacunas, camels, bactrian, and dromedary Yay! are our favourite even-toed ungulates. And the, I, I mentioned even-toed ungulates because uh, regular listeners will know that um, that there are also odd-toed ungulates, of which my favourite is, of course, a tapir. Oh there yes, yeah. They're lovely, aren't they? So, mm. so it's a, and we and we like camel toes, don't we? Because they are these little even toes. Very ungulates. good. We like <laughs> camel toes. Uh, so there we go. And we got there's a. There's I, a I had line. nothing to do with that. <laughs> Mike told me that was that. Mike told me that sounded rather rude, but I just, I, I just, you know, we, we're talking about odd toed and even toed ungulates. We've got to like them, haven't we? Uh, there's a llama there. There's a there's a, a Bactrian camel there, one humble two. There's another Bactrian camel there because I didn't have a picture of a dromedary. There, now there's some local alpacas, little, uh, little white ones, and little tapir there, and and me scuba diving. Fabulous, yeah, just, just fabulous. Thank you. There, <laughs> well, the CPD certificate. We've had CPD. We've had a CPD certificate, but as we are reliably informed. CPD is not CPD unless we reflect on what we have learned. Yes. So for for our newly found listeners, um, they'll have come across the fact that we also like to ask a reflection question. Do you have a reflection question? I, I do have a, re, uh, a reflection, yeah. que- reflective question. I think it's going to be somewhat poignant. Well, yes. I mean, I think everyone in life has choices. And I think... As veterinary professionals, where we may be employed or we may actually employ others, is there a line and where do we draw the line between doing what has always been done and is therefore easy just to go with the flow or standing up for what is right based on evidence, professionalism and ethics? Very good. Mm, yes. Yeah. Very good question. Difficult. So often we oh. hear the, well, I've always done it this way. Yeah. yeah, but it's not necessarily right or the best way of doing it, is it? No. Mm. No. The thing is, I think if nothing would change if there weren't instances where you just have to say, no, I'm not accepting that. That's not what I understand to be right or true or morally acceptable. Mm-hmm. I've made a rod for my own back, I think, in, in my journey, and um, I can't change it now. But had I have not done that, if I had not have stood up, then Geronimo would have been killed, nothing would have been learned, and nothing would have changed. And he had four years, and we have to take that um Mm -hmm. it's it's not enough but we have to accept that he had four happy years with us and and he's gonna change the world with any luck Um, i i can't top that and i think that rounds things off so very nicely and don't forget if you like what you've heard or you want to hear more get in touch with us don't forget to click like share and subscribe it really does make a difference to us and helps keep the show rolling so, uh, Helen McDonald, 
I can't top that. I'm just going to have to say thank you so much for sharing so openly with us tonight. And uh, oh, may your dog go with you doesn't quite sound right. No. <laughs> may your camelid. May go your camelid go yeah. with you. Yeah. Thank you. May Thank your camera you. go with you. I'll raise a glass to you. Thank you very right. much for having me. I've actually very, very really well. enjoyed this evening. It's Thank been a real you. pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. May your camera go with you. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs>